Listen to God's word this morning. Therefore, or excuse me, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers uh, to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among ourselves will arise men speaking twisted things and and draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold apparel. You yourselves know that that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed and uh, prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's begin this morning just with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, this is your word. Uh, These are your scriptures. This is what you have to say to us. I pray, Lord, that that each one of us, that you would open our hearts this morning, uh, that we would listen and that you would show us uh, the message that you have for us. Uh, Give us open hearts that we might respond and and see your goodness. We thank you for the word of grace that can build us up and establish us. We thank you for that good news, the message of the gospel that that Jesus Christ died uh, and rose again. And we're here today uh, because of that. Uh, In your precious name we pray. Amen. Not too long ago at, at the family dinner table, uh, we, were on, uh, we were looking up statistics. And, and we were looking up, somehow we got on the conversation of shark attacks. And we were looking up the statistics for shark attacks. And we found a whole bunch of things that are more likely to happen to you than being bitten by a shark. Uh, this one resonated with me. You know you are more likely to die from a cow injuring you than you are a shark attack. Uh, I grew up uh, down the street from where I grew up. At one point, there was a farm, and they had cows. Uh, And we would run in the fields. We would run around the cows, and we would have to watch out for the cow patties. And we would would climb in the barn and way up high in the haystacks. And I, I remember the warning that we not fall down because not only did you have the haystack down to the main floor, but in one corner of the barn, there was the opening where you dropped the hay down to feed uh, the cows. Uh, so you are more likely to die from a cow attack uh, than you are to, to, to die from a shark attack. Um, don't ask me how they come up with those numbers. Um, I imagine cows knock you over and you get a concussion or something. The reason I, I start with that just analogy is I'm, I was used to uh, growing up on a farm or around farmers at one point in my life. But I was never really around sheep. Sheep need even more care uh, than cows. Cows, you have to feed them. You have to 
to milk them after they, they give birth. You, 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 know, you take care of them. You let them out to the pasture. You bring them in. But, but cows, by and large, are, are very independent animals. Uh, you just let them go. You let them out in, in the field. Sheep, on the other hand, need much more tender care. And throughout Scripture, there are these analogies made to, to shepherding and caring for sheep in the way that people should care for one another, particularly how leaders or people in the church or in the Old Testament kings should care for the people under them. And so we have in this passage the same sort of analogy. Pay careful attention to, you, to yourselves and to all the flock. In other words, uh, the sheep. And then there's this analogy that that wolves can come in. I don't know what the statistics are for sheep, but I'm sure if you are more likely to die from a a cow attacking you than a shark attacking you, you are way less likely to die from a sheep attacking you than you are a shark attacking you. Sheep are meek and mild animals. They have they have no natural defenses whatsoever. You can lead a a sheep uh, into a a pool of water. And if it is anything beyond uh, the stillest but slightest trickle of water, the sheep will drown. Uh, they, They are just not very bright animals. They need care and tenderness. You can lead a sheep to a pasture and and when the food is gone in that pasture, when they have eaten it all, they will just stay there. Unless they are led someplace for new food, they will stay there and they will die. Sheep need care. Sheep need to be protected from wild animals. The great stories in the Bible are David, the king who became king. When he was a young boy, he was a shepherd. And on one occasion, a lion attacked the sheep and God gave him strength to kill that lion. On another occasion, a bear attacked it and God gave David strength to kill the bear and save and protect the sheep. The scriptures say in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53 that all we like sheep have gone astray. And the Lord has laid upon him, upon Jesus, the iniquity, the sins of us all. The metaphor in Scripture is that we are sheep and we need saving. We need the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sins. And Paul here, he is speaking to a group of church leaders and and he is saying to them, you are in charge of God's sheep. These children, these people of God, young and old, they belong to God. And God has placed you sort of like a shepherd might take hired hands and help them and use them to help him shepherd the flock. God has made individuals in the life of the church shepherds, under shepherds, under the great chief shepherd, Jesus, to care for the flock. And so our main point this morning is simply this, that elders, that's a that's another name for leaders in the church. They watch themselves and the local church. So the main verse goes in verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his whole blood. If you go back to Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders. 
the leaders of the church uh, to come to him. There's a couple different names for leaders in the church in the, the New Testament. One uh, would be elder. Another would be overseer. Just kind of the same imagery. Someone who, who takes care of and spiritually leads God's people. Another name would simply be shepherd. And in fact, the English word for pastor is, comes from the idea or the word of a shepherd. Uh, I am the pastor of the church, uh, not because I'm big and important and a priority, but because you are a priority. And God puts pastors and, and elders and leaders in a church to make sure that his sheep are shepherded, to make sure that they're taken care of and they're fed regularly the word of God. Why does God have churches? Why does he have local churches meet on Sundays? It's so that God can oversee that his sheep are being taken care of, that they're being fed, that they're gathering together, that they're worshiping him, that they're delighting in him. So we're going to talk this morning about that. Elders first this morning. Elders watch themselves and the local church because they are overseers of God's people. So, as I've been saying, the church belongs to God. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained by his own blood. Who does the church belong to? It is the church of God. You could you could just change the order of the words around and you could say God's apostrophe S church to care for God's church. Why? Because he has obtained them with his own blood. Here we have one of the strongest statements in the New Testament that Jesus is truly God. We have in the Bible revealed to us that God is one God. He is one being. But he's three persons all at the same time. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see this when Jesus comes down to earth and he is baptized and a voice comes out of heaven. It's God. He says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And in that very moment, the Holy Spirit comes down onto Jesus like a dove. You see all three persons. And we worship them. We worship them as one God. Who is the one who died on the cross? The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. God the Father did not die on the cross. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross. And what does Paul say here? It's the church of God, which God, which he obtained with his own blood. The scriptures are telling us here, Jesus is God. Jesus gets our worship. And I want you to think about this for a moment. This should, should blow our minds. This should, should cause us to delight in who God is. God who is eternal. The Son of God who is eternal, dwelling from all eternity past with the Father. At a point in time, He comes down to earth. He is born of a virgin. He is born from Mary's womb. Truly a human being at that moment, and yet still this entire time, truly God. And because of our great sin, because we have walked away from God and rebelled against God, 
because we've taken our lives and and shaken our fists at him and say, I don't want God. God came down in Jesus Christ, the son of God, and paid the penalty for our sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Each one of us deserves death for what we've done to God. We've disobeyed. We've walked away. We've rebelled in some way. Maybe we don't like him. Maybe we don't want him. Maybe we've cursed him at one point in our lives. We've all walked away. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And that was accomplished Because the Son of God shed His human blood on the cross so that God could make sure that the penalty for our sins was paid for. We can be redeemed. Bought back is the imagery in Scripture. So it says, for we are the church of God. Or he says, to care for the church of God, which He obtained by his own blood. The scriptures make it really clear that Jesus has saved a people unto himself, that he has died for the church, the church which it also calls his body. When you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong to him. Spiritually speaking, you are you are a part of him. It's an image. It's a a metaphor. It describes uh, the connection you have to him, that just as your arm is connected to the rest of you, so we are connected to Jesus as we are the body and he's the head, the one in charge. Ephesians chapter five says this, and, and it says it in a context where it's giving instructions on marriage. But I want you to notice what it says about Jesus. It says this, husbands, love your wives. But notice what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. How much does Jesus love us? That he has died on the cross to to make us his people, to bring us into the family of God so that we might be called the church. And, And by the way, church is just a fancy word that means assembly. It means people that that gather together and we gather together to to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus loves us, loved the church and gave himself up for her so that what? So that he might sanctify her, meaning make her pure, clean her up, wash her. The the other imagery in in Scripture is that the church is is a bride. And and I I will never forget the day I married my wife because she she was just gorgeous. I mean, she was just as wonderful. uh, Forgive me, but she was hot. Okay, she was lovely. And she comes down the aisle in this beautiful uh, white dress and and it just sticks out in my mind even to this day but how does the church get that white dress because we are not lovely we are sinners 
We have walked away from God. The church is washed because Jesus Christ dies for her and his blood covers their sin. And so on that great day, as we walk down the aisle, cleansed in and washed white as snow in these these beautiful, I guess, guys, I guess some of us are we're all going to wear dresses is the imagery. So, um, guys, if, uh, I don't know what that means for us, but we will have these white clothes on. Because Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, the husband waiting for his his people, has loved us and gave himself up for them. You see how precious we are to Jesus. You see why Paul would have these these warnings to these elders, these stay alert, shepherd the sheep, because God loves the church and God wants to see people believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and come and be a part of that church and experience the love of God and receive the forgiveness of sins. And have that being washed as white as snow. The great blessing of belonging to Jesus is scriptures say our sins and lawless deeds he remembers no more. It says in the scriptures that he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Meaning, you know, if you had east one way and west the other way, they, they never touch. As far apart as you can possibly go. Of course, we know the earth is round, so you never fully arrive in the east. That's the point. As far away as you can even possibly imagine, God separates our sins from us. Because the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and claimed us as his own, made a people for himself. Colossians chapter 1 describes it this way. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of, of, of sins. The local church belongs to Jesus and Jesus is the shepherd of the sheep. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He draws the analogy in Scripture between a shepherd and a hired hand. If you paid me to guard your sheep, and and a bear or a lion or a pack of wolves come in to guard the sheep, I'm going to look at the money you're giving me, I'm going to look at my life, and I'm going to say, I am out of here. Those sheep are nice, but I want to live. But it's different when you're the shepherd. Those sheep are precious to you. They're precious to Jesus. And so he dies on the cross to perfectly pay the penalty for sin. That's what Jesus does. We're going to celebrate communion here a little bit later. The imagery, the symbols of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus as your shepherd? Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep hear my voice. Now, he doesn't mean that in the sense of of you're going to hear voices talking to you in your head. What he means is when you hear the word of God, you respond. Have you responded to the word of God? Have you believed that the Lord Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord and asked him to forgive your sins? To say, Lord, make me one of your children. Make me one of your sheep. 
I want to have that relationship with you. This that says just as the father knows me and I know the father. He says, I know my own and my own know me. Now think about that. There is this intimate connection of relationship between the father and the son for all eternity past. God, the father and God, the son were dwelling in absolute unity in absolute harmony. They are one God. They know each other. They are infinite and they know each other infinitely. But it's a relationship. And God says, the Lord Jesus says of those who belong to him, I know my own. And they know me. Do you have a relationship like that with the Lord Jesus Christ? Where you have received the forgiveness of sins and you are confident and you know That because Jesus Christ died on the cross, he has paid for your sins and named you as his child. To be confident in that way, all you have to do is accept the Lord Jesus into your heart. Say, Jesus, I see that I'm a sinner. I see that I've messed up in my life. I've walked away from you. I've been angry. I've done things that I'm not proud of. I'm ashamed of sins. But Lord, I want to be forgiven. I want to experience you as my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. That is all we have to do. Simply ask and receive the gift. The gift is offered. Come to the Lord Jesus. Be one of his sheep. Be one of his children. Be that bride of his that, that on the last day when the new heavens and the new earth are being established, we come down that aisle and you belong to him and you are safe with him. That day is going to be like unlike anything that we've ever imagined or known. And guess what? We will be in the presence of the Lord then for all eternity. That's what we read about in Isaiah 66. Either you come to the Lord and you receive these things or you're cast away into a, a burning fire where the worm doesn't quench and the fire doesn't stop burning you in torment. But God offers to rescue you if you will believe in him. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus constantly cares for his children. Even now, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus cares for his children. And how does he do that? He puts elders in the church, leaders, pastors, and he says, pay attention to yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So uh, Titus chapter one, verse seven says to elders, for you are an overseer, God's steward. So the flock, the sheep, Don't belong to the pastor. Uh, This is not my church. Uh, On one sense, you know, I I work here, I pastor here, I preach here in in that sense. Yeah, I'm I'm here, but it doesn't belong to me. Uh, If you join the church, if you attend regularly, you don't ultimately belong to me. You belong to God. You belong to Jesus, who is the shepherd. And then he then he puts people like me in place to kind of be the the sub shepherd, the under shepherd, the hired hand who cares for the sheep, 
who who seeks to feed them and, and bring the word of God to them regularly. Peter says in first Peter, chapter five, I exhort you, uh, I exhort the elders among you as fellow, a fellow elder and a witness to the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God who uh, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So how does the leader watch themselves? He watches his life and his doctrine. The first thing the leader does, pay attention to yourself. The, 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 the shepherd in the church, the pastor in the church, the, their job is, is not simply to look over your shoulder in all of your life. The first thing they watch is themselves. The Scriptures say in 1 Timothy 4.16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The Word of God is powerful. We're sharing the Word of God today. I'm, I'm telling you, this is what Scripture says. And then I'm reading it so that you can see with your own eyes and hear with your own ears. These are God's words in the pages of this book. But the preacher, the pastor, the shepherd, I need to watch not only what I say. Am I teaching what this says? And you can very clearly see today... Have I opened Scripture? Have I said, read here what Scripture says, and then said in a way that's faithful, that says, this is what Scripture says? We're, we're watching my teaching. But I have to watch my own life. Because it says, by doing this, you will save not only yourself, but your hearers. I need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. I am like each one of you. I need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, not because my obedience saves me, but obedience is the response of God's grace in my life. And what I don't want to do is come to the end of my life and have said one thing my whole life, the grace of God saves, and another way live my whole life as if I've never experienced the grace of God. A good tree bears good fruit, Scripture says. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And if at the end of my life I have nothing good in terms of spiritual fruit that I've watched my own life, the point is, did I really belong to the Lord Jesus? But it also saves the hearers. One, if we have right doctrine, we're going to be saying the right things like we're saying here today. We're going to call people, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how you get saved. But when someone lives an example before you, it helps you see that these things are true. There have been many instances, and I want to be careful how I say this, because you never want to put your faith in a man. Even the best human examples are still imperfect. Pastors still mess up. They make mistakes. They even sin. But there have been times in lives of churches, in the lives of people, and maybe you've experienced this, where, where someone who was a leader in the church they did not watch their life. They did not guard their heart. They did not walk in God's ways. And they sinned. It wasn't just a little thing, but they sinned and messed up in a terrible way. Maybe they walked away from the Lord. And there were 
precious saints, maybe young believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in those moments, it crushed them. Because they saw someone they looked up to, they saw someone they'd admired, they said, this guy's following Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, and then that person walked away from Jesus. It can break someone. If you've ever experienced that in your life where someone has let you down, you know what that's like. That's why it's important. It's important that we all walk in the ways of the Lord. That first we respond in faith. That we would believe the right things. That Jesus is the Son of God. That He died on the cross. That we would receive the forgiveness of sins. And then out of that, because we know the truth, we walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. We respond uh, to His goodness and His grace. When I was a, a young pastor starting out as a youth pastor, I was being uh, mentored by the senior pastor at, at a church. And uh, I remember when he first started going there, I, he just, I, I, to this day, I, I look up to him. He, was, he just did such a wonderful job with the Word of God. He understood the Scriptures. I uh, might surprise you, but I'm a little bit of a nerd. Uh, and when I was in, in college and high school, or in, in college and seminary, I loved reading, I loved theology, I loved doctrine. And so I, I found in him a, a kindred spirit. But I'll never remember, I'll never forget, never remember, I'll never forget we were at church uh, and we were around some people. Uh, he wasn't there. We were around some people in his con- uh, congregation. And, and I'm sure many of them were impressed with his doctrine and his knowledge of Scripture and stuff. But I remember one conversation where someone just spoke up and said, he has such a godliness about him. They weren't ultimately impressed with his intellect. They weren't impressed that he could, he could preach for 45, 50 minutes and not lose people's attention. They weren't impressed, uh, although to some degree maybe they were, by how much he studied. They were ultimately the impressed. And he made an impression on them because of the example that he lived in godliness. Oh, that's what I need. That's what you need. That's what we all need. Maybe even in your life, there's someone, maybe a, a child, maybe a kid in your family, extended family, maybe a, a young Christian, a coworker, that you yourself need to watch your life and doctrine. We, we just dedicated the boys this morning. Isaac and Jill, you guys, as the kids grow up, you have to watch two things. One, do you know the Word of God? Watch what you're believing. Stick to the truth. But two, are you walking in a way that, that is honoring God? Your boys are going to look up to you no matter what. Are you living an example for them? That's true in church leadership. That's true in families. That's true in every area of your life. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Second, this morning, and we'll pick up the pace here, uh, elders watch themselves and the local church because wolves will arise inside the church and its leadership. Notice verse 29 and 30. The elder is to look out, is on the lookout for wolves. Um, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise speaking twisted things to draw them, uh, to draw away the disciples after them. Notice what Paul says. Wolves will come and they will not spare the flock. There are people out there that teach all kinds of 
crazy things and are trying to lure away good and true Christians. They, they are wolves. And, and you think of how wolves attack. They don't spare the flock. They, they dig into the sheep. They're hungry. They, they pull them apart limb from limb. Wolves, in a spiritual sense, are out there. Now, we don't need to be like the three little pigs and make a brick wall around the church and, and see them huff and puff and try to blow the house down. You know, we, we can be opening and welcoming to anyone that comes in, but, but we need to be cautious. There are people that their mission and their goal in life is to teach things that the Bible doesn't say, to do things that the Bible doesn't say, and they want to lure other people into that. This was in the early days of the church. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking to some of the early churches in some of the same places where Paul had ministered. And in Revelation 2, it says, But I have a few things against you, Jesus says to the church. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, which is an allusion to an Old Testament false prophet who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idol, and practice sexual immorality. Revelation 2.20, I have this against you. Jesus is speaking to a church. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. She was another Old Testament uh, uh, lady who rebelled against God. And he's using these as metaphors. Who calls herself a prophetess and teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. So there are these people, men and women, and he, he labels them by these Old Testament names, but they're people in their day, these Balaams and Jezebels. And, and what is their mission? They're bringing in false teaching. What are they trying to do? They're trying to lure a following. They're trying to get people to worship idols and, and eating this food is, is symbolic of idol worship. Not only that, they're, they're engaging in sexual immorality, luring people into the bedroom. We need to be on our guard today. We need to be on our guard against sexual immorality and even how it creeps into the church. You realize there, there are churches out there today that are fine with, with either teaching or tacitly approving that it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. That it's okay to, to sleep around with others as long as you, you love them. Just as, as Jesus' bride is precious to them and he, he loves them and has died for them, the, the imagery is there should be the same connection between husband and wife. That, that physical and spiritual and emotional unions that take place in marriage are precious and, and they're sacred you wouldn't see Jesus cheating on the church with, with some other religion. In the same way, the marriage is precious. And so there, it's, it's fascinating. Well, fascinating is the wrong word. But the thing that we should be on our guard is sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's easy to see when someone has false teaching. Someone comes in here today and they say, Jesus isn't the Son of God. Jesus didn't die on the cross. Well, right away, red flags are going to go up. It's much more subtle when there's this slide following the way the culture follows, believing what the world around us believes in terms of sexuality, in terms of how we should conduct ourselves, in terms of what human decency and love looks like. We need to be on our guard. We need to be on our guards. 
we want to keep moving uh, through this morning. Notice how Paul says in verse 33, I coveted no one's gold or silver. He says in verse 35, we must help the weak. What's one way you can identify false teachers? When they come with all their bling. When they have, when they're getting all the money. What does Paul say? I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. When you have someone that that makes their ministry uh, about themselves and and making themselves uh, look good. And I'm not talking like dressing up or wearing a bow tie. I'm I'm talking about they love to to flaunt their riches. They they make it about give give to me and think of how what I can do through my ministry or what God will do through me. If you just give to me and help me launch this or that or or, you know, some of these guys, they buy multimillion dollar houses or one uh, bought a plane so that he go in his his ministry. It's not about shepherding the weak then. Then it's not about doing God's things God's way. There's a lot of different examples that we could cite, and I don't want to so much focus on that, but I do want you to notice this in verse 20. From among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things. It's easy sometimes to see what the world is doing and say, we don't want to be like that. It's easy to see what other churches and denominations and and, uh, TV preachers are doing and say, we don't want to be like that. It's really hard when something arises from within evangelicalism. People who believe the same things that we believe and they start to go astray. And it's even harder when these things crop up in our own church. And Paul gives this warning. Not only will wolves arise, but there is a chance They will come from among you. Now, I don't want you to leave here today and look around with suspicion at everybody and say, "Okay, who's the who's the wolf? I'm not going to get to know anybody here because somebody might be a wolf. That's not what he's saying. He's just saying, pay attention, be careful, stay on your guard. How do we do that? We'll close with this uh, example. How do we do that? By knowing the truth. I am told, I I don't know this for sure, but I am told that when you join, if you join the Secret Service as part of the U.S. Treasury, the guys, if you join the divisions that look out for for the forgeries, that that spot the fake money that's out there, there are so many different variations of fake money, and, and the counterfeiters are always coming up with something new. You can never know every permutation of fake money that's out there. But what they do to train is they study the original. They study the real $100 bill. And they know that $100 bill forwards and backwards. And they, they look over it with a microscope to the point that they know where each little line, where each little dot, where each little hidden strip is, where each little number is supposed to go, where each little curve on, on someone's face as you, you draw them goes. They know the original and they go deeper and deeper into the original and knowing it. They perhaps look at it under a microscope. I don't know. They, they know the texture so that if they were blindfolded and you handed them a fake counterfeit bill, they could tell right away the texture isn't right. They know the original. How can we be on guard? How can we watch our own lives? How can we make sure we're, we're keeping a short account of sins in our life? How can we make sure that we're, we're sticking to the truth and we're, we're, uh, wolves aren't cropping up? 
Know the original. Do you spend time in God's word? Do you spend time in church on Sundays, in Sunday school, the morning worship, so that we can feed on God's word? God's goal is to feed the church through the word of grace to build them up. That's how he establishes us. That's how he grows us. We need to be in the word. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our gracious God and heavenly father, Lord, uh, we just come and we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessing, your, uh, the, the honor that it is to know you, to hear your word. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Maybe you're calling some of us today to, to be your sheep, to follow you. Maybe you're calling some of us back to walking in your ways, to guarding our life and our doctrine. Lord, we pray that, that you would raise up elders and leaders in the church. We thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for just calling me here and just such a tremendous privilege that it is. Help me to, to watch my own life and watch my doctrine, uh, to live in a, as an example for others, that your name might be glorified. And we just pray these things uh, in your name. Uh, amen. We're going to come uh, this morning and we're going to take a few moments and we're going to celebrate uh, communion. Uh, I've asked Sean and Jeff and, and Ken will, will come uh, and pass out the, the communion uh, this morning. What communion is, is it's a time where we pass out two uh, things that symbolically represent Jesus' death and resurrection. We have a little, a little cracker, a little piece of bread, uh, unleavened bread type, that would uh, symbolize Jesus' body. That Jesus had a physical human uh, body that was broken and died on the cross. We have the little cup of, of grape juice, uh, fruit of the vine, that, that symbolizes Jesus' Uh, shed blood. The scriptures teach that, that on the night that the Lord Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same thing with the cup, and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. We've shared that message with you this morning. Each one of us is sin, sinful, is sinners. We need to be forgiven. The only way to be forgiven is to know and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. We put our faith and trust in him. We are, in a sense, entrusting our life to him. We are saying, save me from the sin and the consequences of it. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are part of his body. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have received him and received the forgiveness of sins, feel free to take these elements today. These things do nothing to save you. But what they do is they remind you. As you take them in, they remind you the blood of Jesus Christ covers your sin if you believe in him. The body of Jesus Christ was broken on the cross for your sins if you believe in him. Let's start with a word of prayer this morning. If you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd invite you to pray to him right now. Pray to him this, dear, gracious Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner. I believe that my sin separates me from you and I deserve the consequences of eternal punishment. But I see my sins and I see what you did on the cross. And I ask that you would forgive me of my sins through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and his broken body. Bring to me today the forgiveness of sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. I confess him as Savior and Lord. Our gracious God and Heavenly 